Thank you, worship team. Good job. Great is his faithfulness, that's for sure. If you have your Bibles, take them out and open them up to the book of Acts, chapter 7. One of the most exciting passages of Scripture in the whole New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. And um, I think we're going to have a lot of fun studying this. Acts teaches us very, very clearly that there are characteristics and qualities of Christians. When a person becomes a Christian in the book of Acts, things change in their life, in their character, in their attitudes, in their behavior. If there's one thing you could say about the book of Acts, it's this. It clearly tells us there's after effects. We're using that word in this whole series now, after effects, when a person becomes a Christian. So much so that you could say about someone, if you don't see after effects of someone after they've become a Christian or saying they've been born again, if there's no after effects, they probably didn't. Jesus said, by your fruit, you will know them. He's saying there's going to be after effects, just like there's fruit that bears on a tree when the tree's healthy. And that's what you learn by reading the book of Acts. Everybody that gets converted, it's like a change. There's lots of changes going on in people's lives because they're coming to Christ truly. The Spirit of God's truly coming into them. So what I'd like to pray before we go through this chapter, which is profound about how it changes people's lives, and I'm hoping it has an impact on your life like it has mine, even in just studying it, I'd like to pray with you about it now. So bow your head with me, please. In all sincerity, Lord, we come to you. Knowing that we need a touch from the Lord. It, it, the book of Acts teaches very clearly anyone, anyone, no matter how righteous they think they are or unrighteous they think they are, needs a touch from the Lord. That's why it was called born again in the book of John. That's why it's called filled with the Holy Spirit here in this book. Because we need your spirit to come into us and change us. Transformation, regeneration needs to happen. I pray for everyone listening online as well as here in this room that this would be a very transformational, regenerational moment as we study Acts chapter 7. And Lord, I know I can't do it. So your Holy Spirit needs to do it in me and in them, in all of us. So we come before you with a prayer, a very sincere prayer, Lord. Touch our hearts. Teach us in our minds. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start by asking a question. How come we run into so many things in life, like the COVID virus or whatever, that cause us to feel so inadequate? And we often feel inadequate, whether it's the diagnosis from a doctor about your health not being so good, or maybe you got cancer. Or the situation in your marriage, there's lots of tension. Maybe you've even been divorced. Or a person that like used to be your friend, but now they're not your friend. There's a lot of tension. Or someone even like that that you need to go ask forgiveness of. Or someone that you need to just forgive them. They really wronged you. They really stabbed you in the back. It just They betrayed you. And you need to forgive them. How come we often feel so inadequate whether it's a financial situation, a job situation, a person situation, we feel so inadequate. And yet over and over and over again in the Bible, especially New Testament, it tells us, oh, oh you're adequate. You can do this in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4. Huh? 
How come we often feel inadequate when the Bible tells us we are adequate? Right here in this passage, you're going to learn the answer to that question. Because right here in this passage, we have a guy, a young man named Stephen, who faces a very tough, difficult situation. The worst difficulties he's ever faced in his entire life. In fact, at the end of it, he dies. That's how difficult it is. And yet, he has adequacy for every single thing. So much so, I mean, you'll be astounded how the story ends. And if you were here last week, you, you saw the beginning of chapter 6, where we went through how, how, how Stephen became the person he was, how he got chosen to be one of the deacons, but then even went further, taking it seriously as a call of God, and God used him in a powerful way. Now we're going to look at chapter 7. And I really believe what you're going to see here is how you can find this adequacy in your life that Stephen found. What, what Stephen did here and what we're going to learn, and you know, I, I see this probably different than most people here because I look at the whole Bible because I'm, you know, this is what I've studied my whole life. He went to seminary for it. It's like, this is astounding. What happens here changes the course of history, not just biblical history, history. And the church history is changed right here by one man, Stephen. It's profound. After he, after he does what he does, and even his death causes the Christians to scatter, and now Antioch, north of Jerusalem, becomes the headquarters, and all kinds of things happen, and missionaries are sent, and things happen because of Stephen and his, his ability to do this. I put down your outline this, these words. Here's the big idea. Stop limiting God. And what Stephen does is he has three convictions. You ready? Three convictions that I'm hoping by the end of the service tonight, you have those same convictions. Here they are. Number one, he has a strong conviction about this book and what it is about the Bible, the Word of God. He believed this book contains the very words of the Almighty God. That's his first conviction. And it, it causes him to not be limiting God in that area or in any area of this, about the Word of God. Secondly he, has, secondly, he has a conviction about the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God actually lived inside of him, which is why he's able to do what he does. Now, I know this is all intro, but you'll see why. And then thirdly, he has a conviction about being able to forgive people. Let me show you what I mean. Point one. You and Stephen were given words to speak, literally given God's words to speak. Look at verse 1, chapter 7 of Acts, verse 1. And the high priest said... These are these things so. In other words, they had taken Stephen because of the things he was saying. He was preaching, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would be like the Supreme Court. So here's this young man, like us going before the, like, here's how it is. If you went before the Supreme Court and you said, I said, okay, now explain the Constitution. Huh? <laughs> Wouldn't that be how you feel? Like, huh? Like, I'm inadequate, right? Inadequate's a good word for that. That's where his, he's, these are biblical scholars. These are guys that knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And this young buck is going to tell them something? So the head of the whole board says, are these things true? What's he talking about? He's talking about the temple. Are you telling people, Stephen, that the temple in Jerusalem is not the whole, most holy place on the planet Earth? And basically, that's what he's doing. And he goes on to explain it. So he, they're challenging him to explain why he's teaching people that the temple in Jerusalem is not the most holy place on the planet Earth, which all the Jews believed. And look what he goes on to do. Ready? Verse 2. 
And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he, he lived in Haran. Now, I'm just going to read that because we don't have time to read the whole chapter. It's a long chapter. He goes on for several, several verses, many, many words. And this is even just a summary of what he says. He goes through the entire Old Testament. Yeah, he uses the Bible to talk with these Bible scholars. He goes through the story of Abraham, like we just introduced there, then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the 12 tribes and Moses and the, and the 40 years wandering in the wilderness and the Babylonian captivity when, when they were disobedient, God gave them over to the Babylonians and then David's kingship and Solomon's kingship and Solomon was the one that did what? Built the temple. So he stops there and says, and Solomon built the temple just summarizing it all for them to try and show them he's, he's, his, his point is that God has always been with his people and I want to show you through biblical history how he's always been there and he's still with us even though he's not just in the temple so let's read on look what he does he just skipped to verse 47 skip to verse 47 and he says remember I told you all the way up to Solomon he's gone through all this biblical history and he says but it was Solomon who built a house for him for God Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Now here he quotes from Isaiah 66 and Psalm 11 combined together. He says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place for my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So he's trying to make two points. His first point is God made everything. God didn't have to build himself a house. He made all the trees. He made all the wood. He made everything. He didn't, he didn't need to build himself a house. He already built himself an earth. And his second point is what Stephen looks like. My spirit is among people now. It's not just in the temple. See, in the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And every good Jew believed in the Holy of Holies is not only the most holy place on the planet Earth, it's where the Holy Spirit of God resides. But, but, but now Stephen believed Joel chapter 2. Remember what Peter preached in Joel chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit come by? He says, you know, Joel predicted this years earlier. The book of Jeremiah predicts it too. There's other ver verses in the Old Testament. If I had time, I'd show them to you, which tells that the Spirit of God is going to come upon people someday. And that's what happened. And God now resides in him. So what Peter's preaching, or excuse me, what Stephen's preaching to him here is that the Spirit of God has now come upon him. Look at now at verses 51 and on. Let's read that. He next goes, <laughs> here's his conclusion. You stiff-necked people, he says. Uncircumcised in your hearts and your ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Wow, what an indictment, huh? The, he, he just really lays it on thick here. He calls them stiff-necked. Stiff-necked is, is like a symbol of violence. And like it sounds, stiff neck means I'm unrelenting, I'm unrepenting. And he's calling, you guys are unrepenting. You won't recognize you're doing wrong. You won't recognize you're going the wrong direction. You won't recognize what God's doing. And God's doing something new here, bringing his spirit upon mankind. Look at verse 53 again. Look how he ends it. 
You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. He's saying you, you got the Bible, but you don't do it. You know all these verses, but you don't see Jesus in them. Jesus himself said that, right, to the Pharisees. You study and you know all the words, but you don't see the Son of God. No. It's almost like they've created something for themselves, something totally different. And he's, he's telling them that. What, what is this happening in everything we've studied so far is Stephen trying to tell these guys, what I'm talking to you about that you're accusing me of, is this, is this thing so, is this true, is really all in the Bible if you've been looking for it. It's about the scriptures. You know, when he says these things, I sometimes wonder, what, I couldn't help it when I was reading it, this could be an indictment against America, an American Christianity, which, hey, you and me are a part of. Because he's saying, you guys aren't really listening to God here. You're not watching what God's doing. You've, you've created your own, your own brand of Christianity. Let, let me explain it to you this way. The Bible here was written, the one we hold in our hands now, over by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period of time on three different continents, and yet it still hangs together? I say that, 40 authors, you can't even get two or three authors to agree with each other on things. You have 40 of them that agree, 40 authors all talking about the same God, the same Son of God, the same Holy Spirit. You have all these different continuities just working together, 1,500 year period of time. Just think of what's changed over 40 years, like we're celebrating now. Tons of things changed 40 years. Imagine 1,500. And then it all hangs together, even on different continents. That'd be like us and Africa and Asia, and they're all, I thought these different cultures. Yeah, different cultures. Do you realize how miraculous that is? It's unbelievable. Let me do read to you some stats. The pollster George Gallup. George Gallup has long referred to America as a nation of biblical illiterates. He's talking about us. Only four in ten Americans know that Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. A majority of citizens cannot, cannot name the four Gospels in the New Testament. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Couldn't even name them, most people, he's saying. Only three in ten teenagers know why we celebrate Easter. Really? Two-thirds of Americans believe there are few, if any, absolute principles to govern your life by. Wow. The Bible clearly teaches that. Three out of four Americans, nearly half of those who have been born again, believe the Bible teaches that they believe the Bible actually teaches God helps those who help themselves. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. God is merely your assistant. A similar number of born-again Christians deny the existence of the Holy Spirit and of Satan. One in five denies Jesus' physical resurrection and believes he was, he was a sinner. I'm reading this from an article that was written 20 years ago. If that's how bad it was in the year 2000, how bad is it now? And we wonder, why does God judge America? Well, because America's wandered from the ways of the Lord. We took it out of school. We're taking it out of our culture. Can't even talk about Jesus. It's, 
It's gone crazy. You and I as Christians can't let this happen. We've got to be able to stand firm on the Word of God. Listen, if this contains the Word of God, what could be more important than this book? And, you know, as a man who studied this book and preached this book my whole life now, I have to tell you, um, there's nothing greater than this book in my life. Nothing. No person, no other words, no other book. This is the most profound thing. And, and you, do you believe that? Well, then why don't you read it? Why don't you study it? Why don't you memorize it? That's, this, that's, there's so many pastors I could quote to you right now that are coming to my mind, you know, like the, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, and nothing can outweigh the Word of God. And it's verified itself over and over and over again. I, I hope you understand. I, I am 68 years old. Okay, I started this church when I was 28 years old. I believe in this book now at 68 more, much more than I did even at 28. Why? Because it just keeps proving itself, proving itself, proving itself over and over and over. And here's Stephen. Gutsy boy he is. Challenging these scholars. You guys aren't doing the word. You're not keeping the word. This has been told about in the word for years, you guys, and you missed it. Why? Because... And I sometimes wonder, could this be said, like I said, to American Christians too? We've somehow overlooked the truth. Secondly, so Stephen had a conviction about the Bible, right? You got that loud and clear. Secondly, he had a conviction about the Holy Spirit. You and Stephen were given the Spirit to fill, to, to fill you, which is what I'm going to talk about now in point two. Look at verses 54 through 56. Read like this. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth, which is an expression of being very angry to the point of violence. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, now underline that if you, if you underline in your Bibles or circle that part because it keeps mentioning that about this guy. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm saying he was given the Holy Spirit. Well, so were you as a Christian. Gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. He said that in front of these guys, and they were enraged. And it says they ground their teeth, but it's telling us again, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he actually says, I see Jesus in heaven at the right hand of God. Uh, Stephen had real strong convictions about the Spirit. And what I mean by that is he really believed what Peter had preached in Joel chapter 2, that the Spirit of God came and was released then on believers and filled them. So much so, he's filled. The word filled means be controlled. He's controlled by the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you a question. Do you have that conviction? We preached about it last week too. Do you have the conviction that something's happened to you that's not you? Not your brain, not your heart, not your conviction, your, your, your stubborn self-will, you know, kind of, it's the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. You see, he had to believe that to be able to face up to these men, to be able to face this thing he felt so 
inadequate for. And it's the same in your life. When you feel inadequate, if you believe God is in you, it changes everything about that situation, everything about that problem, everything about that person, everything about those dollars, everything about the situation. When you see, hey, I'm not adequate, but I have one inside me who is. That's what that passage in Philippians means. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here's Stephen. He, he's he, he just uh, doing this by the power of the Spirit. He's not just a... In fact, when I remember reading this early on in my Christian life, I was thinking, oh, he's just one of those dumb, you know, common do- domineering, individualistic type of people that didn't really care what other people thought of him. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're aware, that's not what the pa- passage says. That's not what the Bible says about him. He's just, it's not just a personality thing that Stephen has. It tells us what? He is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the difference here. You know, I, I, one could say this is one of the greatest signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit, is that you're able to meet up to the inadequacies you feel in life. Look at the next two verses. Verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, as you know, if you've been studying the book of Acts in chapter 9, that's Saul is the guy that becomes the apostle Paul when he's converted in chapter 9. So this is a pretty dramatic situation. I couldn't help it when I was studying this last couple of weeks to remember the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, put, keep your finger in Acts. Turn to Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse 15. See, here's Jesus, a record of Jesus speaking, and he, he's speaking to seven different churches. And his seventh church, the last church he talks to, is the church of Laodicea. And he says something to them that's so profound, it must have made them very angry. Did you notice the Jews here listening to Stephen were really mad? And so I'm thinking in my mind, well, what would make Christians really mad? Well, this passage would. You ready? What if God came to you right now and says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. In other words, on fire for the Lord or cold toward the Lord. At least you'd know where you stand. So because you are lukewarm, in other words, justifying your behavior and justifying yourself, because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth, God says. For you say, I'm rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. By the way, the people in Laodicea were quite wealthy. And they had some industries going. He says, not really realizing the truth that you are wretched and you're pitiable and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold. They were known for the gold refineries. Gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments. They were known for their garment industries in Laodicea. He says, buy white garments from me so that you may clothe yourselves and, and, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And, and salve. They were known for their famous salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent don't be stiff-necked he's saying repent and then he says this beautiful verse behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me it's an invitation 
just like Stephen was trying to do. He's trying to invite them to repent. He's trying to invite them to say, no, I'm not just sorry, God, but no, Lord, you know, know, that's what repentance means. It doesn't mean you're just sorry. It means, oh my gosh, I've been going the wrong way. I really screwed up. I got to turn around. That's what literally repent means, turn. I'm going to turn and change my direction. And here is Jesus himself talking to the church of Laodicea. And I think you could apply this to the church of America. We're rich. We're prosperous. We don't need God, we think. Trying to find him with all the materialism and all the stuff he's saying. You're you're pitiable. You're poor. You think you're rich. You're in poverty. You need the Lord. Spiritual poverty. Like I said... These Jews were pretty ticked off. If I was preaching this to, to you people and saying, well, you know what your problem is? You're lukewarm. You're a lukewarm Christian. Folks, I hope you understand. The church in America pretty much fits that description. We're lukewarm. Where, where is the real conviction about the Spirit of God, the real conviction about the Word of God? Stephen speaks from strong convictions to you. Stephen calls us to join him in strong convictions about the Spirit of God being in us. Fear nothing. You can stand up against it because you have God in you, the Holy Spirit. Wow. Do you believe it? Look at the third point. It really brings it home. This is probably worth the whole sermon, this third point, so pay attention, please. If you fell asleep, wake up. Come on, you got to hear this. This is, this is really powerful. <clears throat> you and Stephen were given the ability to forgive. Look at, I say that because of verses 59 and 60. You ready? Here's how it, the chapter ends. It says, <clears throat> And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which translated means he died. Stephen is not an obstinate kind of a person. He's, he's not. And scripture gives no indication of that at all. He's just not one of these people that gets in your face and doesn't care what you think. I mean, that kind of person never does what he does here. He says, oh, Lord, don't hold it against him. <laughs> that kind of person would say, go get him, Lord. Take him down, you know, right? And often... Let's be honest. Don't we think like that? We want revenge. We want someone to get their comeuppance, right? Did, did you, do you understand how profound this is? He's getting stoned to death by people who think they're doing the right thing. They're not asking forgiveness. They're not thinking they did anything wrong. And what does he say to God? God, don't hold this against them. They're full of pride. They're full of selfishness. They don't care about him. They're going to kill him. Did you know Jesus said almost the same thing on the cross? Do you remember what Jesus said like in Luke chapter 23, verse 24? He said, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let me just ask, I was thinking about this. Let me ask you a question. Okay. You're Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You're Stephen. You're on your knees. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And they're throwing rocks at you. Well, if you're not going to blame them, 
And you're not going to blame you, and you're certainly not blaming God. Who are you blaming? You're getting killed. Who's at fault here? You didn't just die. Somebody's killing you. Who are you blaming? I started thinking about that. I never thought about that before. I thought, well, their theology, their God thinking must be, oh, it's the devil. Ephesians chapter 6, we don't fight against flesh and blood, it says, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual forces of wickedness. They're thinking, oh my God, Lord, they've just been duped by the devil. They've been deceived just like I have before when I've fallen to temptation. Oh Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You and I have an underdeveloped theology about Satan, an underdeveloped theology about spiritual forces of wickedness. And we think it's just people. This is what ticks me off so much about Facebook and people pointing the fingers like, you're just a pawn in the devil's hand. You really are. You're a pawn in the devil's hand. He is very, the Bible teaches, again, back to the Bible. He's here and he's alive and well. And he's getting us to split churches and getting us to fight each other and getting us to talk about politics and all this stupidity. That's the devil, folks. Blame him. Do you know you're not supposed to hold a grudge or be angry at anybody on the planet Earth? Except you could be really ticked at the devil. Yeah, you're supposed to hate him. There's no forgiveness for him. He's going to burn in hell. That's right. <laughs> give, give an applause. It's true. So it's like they've just come to reality about it. That can enable you to forgive. For example... How did they do this? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 5 that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. They had a love for people that seems to be higher than our love for people, so much so they could have this love of God shed abroad in their hearts by what? By what? By what? The Holy Spirit. This whole book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. God can give you love for somebody you don't like. God can give you love for somebody you even hate. Someone who really betrayed you, really wronged you, really hurt you, and say, Lord, forgive them. They didn't know what they're doing. God can do that. I'm telling you. I'm talking to you. God can do that to you. Or this one. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Look it up. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. When God forgave you because Jesus died on the cross, did you deserve it? No. All the sin that falls short of the glory of God. You didn't deserve to be forgiven. He's saying, well, you can forgive people just like God and Christ forgave you. How do you do that? Again, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the belief in the Word of God. I, I, I wanted to point this out because forgiveness is so, so essential for us as Christians if we're going to have the power of God demonstrated through us. I think it's the whole reason this story ends like this and God wanted it to end like this because you read something like this and you go, wait a minute, where's the protection of God? Hey, wait a minute, how come the righteous are suffering? You know, all the old questions we always ask. It's like that's beside the point. The greater question God wanted to answer is, look at the power of God. Look what God's going to do. Stephen literally changed the course of history and got to go early home to be with the Lord. But like, that's the point here. He's trying to show how effective it is in a person's life when they've come to the place. It's like there's levels of forgiveness and it's like Jesus and Stephen seem to understand this and grasp this better than anybody else. 
I, I don't know about you, but I want to go there. I want to experience that, don't you? I want to be able to forgive people. I want to be able to forgive people that wronged me. And think, so I was st- studying this and reading this, and, and if, as you all know, I was down to Florida for a couple of weeks. Okay, so I'm down there, and I'm studying this. One of the pastors I was studying, and I was reading a couple books, too, different things, but so I'm, I'm feeling kind of convicted, like, whoa, you know, have I really forgiven people? I'm going to tell you a secret now about me. I'm the kind of person, if you do something wrong against me, I see, I see John and Robin out there, they know me for years. I forgive real quick. Oh, don't worry. I forgive you. And I really feel that. I really feel like I do. But here's what happens. I think John knows this about me. Then maybe a few weeks later, a few months later, maybe even a year later, I go, that jerk. I can't believe he did that to me. I can't believe they said that. I get mad. That's, it's so, I'm a slow processor, I guess. It takes me a while. John's Italian. He gets mad right away. <laughs> but it's like, I, it takes me a while. And then it, I get really ticked off. I mean, it might, even, it might be weeks, months later, and I'm staying up at night like I'm so mad. Like, what's going on here? I haven't forgiven. So here's what Lori and I did. I took a piece of paper. I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do here. I want to be like Stephen. I won't be like Jesus, right? We keep saying, okay, I'm a t-. So I listed out anybody I could think of. I even prayed, Lord, show me anybody from my childhood, from coaches to teachers to parents to, to things that people said or did, ministry, uh, church, all kinds of things. Wrote things down. I had a long, nice list. Anybody I thought that had wronged me in any way that I need to forgive and let go of. And a couple of those heavy hitters that I thought, oh, man, that was really wrong, you know? And so I told Lori to do the same thing. We did this literally one night, wrote the list, and the next morning we got up and we said, okay, let's do this. Let's pray it through right now and give it to God. Let's be like Stephen and say, Lord, don't hold that sin that I'm so mad about against them. (gasps) Yeah, don't hold it against them. I'm not saying, go get them, Lord. I'm not saying, make it right, Lord. I'm, I'm saying, let them off the hook. They were duped by the devil. Forgive them, for they know not what they do, Jesus said. Lord, raise me to that level of understanding. So we prayed this really great prayer, like with tears and everything, and we're just giving it to the Lord. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, if I don't start thinking of a guy again, you know, it's like, it's like and what do I do? I just say, well, I gave that to the Lord. No, that's, I gave him to the Lord. Revenge is mine. I will repay, says the Lord, even if there is revenge. Whatever. I'm going to leave it with God. I want to be like Stephen. I want to be like Jesus. It's, and I really do believe there's people in this room right now, there's people watching me right now online. You need to do that. Whether it's sit down and make a list and go through a routine like that or get down on your knees and make it right. Maybe, maybe it's your, your ex. Maybe it's a person, your brother, your sister. Maybe it's a, somebody. But do you understand? Please, now I'm saying this as strong as I can. You're limiting God. The whole point of the message is don't limit God. Well, you are because you're holding a grudge. You're limiting him in your mind, your heart, and the power of your life and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're filled with you. You got to get right with this. Forgiveness is so key through the New Testament, so key. Even when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say that's so shocking to people's ears? Well, if you can't forgive people that offend you, I don't know that I can forgive you. Have you ever read it? It's right after he teaches them in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, look it up. Jesus is trying to say, this is extremely important. 
to understand how you were let off the hook, totally let off the hook by the cross, so too you now should let other people off the hook. Lord, don't hold that sin against them. So, what have we learned? Stephen, who goes on now to die by being stoned to death, had three convictions that kept him from limiting God in his life. One, he was, had a strong conviction, this is the word of God, and I need to hold very close to it. Secondly, I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside me. Thirdly, I can let people off the hook. I can forgive him. God is going to enable me to do that. Now, I say that because Stephen dies. Are you willing to die for these convictions? I hope I am. I hope you are. But I'll tell you this. You're not going to all of a sudden someday die for Jesus if you didn't already live for him. Nobody all of a sudden just dies for something they didn't live for. So this is a decision I'm talking about for your life, not your death. Because if you don't live for Jesus, you're certainly not going to die for Jesus someday out of the blue. No, people will all know you died for you. If you want to live for Jesus, it's the only way you can die for Jesus. The only way after your death, they'll say, boy, there's after effects, all right. Look at what they did. Look at what they said. Look at how they lived. We make an impact in our life by what we live for. Stephen did that. You can do that. Let me pray with you. Bow your head. As your head is bowed and your heart is tender toward Lord, please don't be stiff-necked. Please don't try and justify yourself. And say, dear Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been serious enough about the Word of God. My conviction has been spoken but not lived out. Forgive me, Lord. I want to be filled with your Spirit, but first I've got to start with your Word. And take your word seriously as your word. So, Lord, I don't know what this means. Show me. Is it, is it like a Bible study I need to be in? A, a, a regular quiet time in the morning? A, a reading certain books or studying in the word of God? What is it? Memorizing verses? What is it? Show me, Lord, and I will go. Right? Second prayer. Lord, I got another request. Somehow this Holy Spirit thing always seems to be about other people or always seems to be in the Bible but not in me. Forgive me. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to be controlled by the Spirit. I want to recognize that you're there. No matter where I am, you're with me. No matter where, what I face, you're there. I can be adequate for anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because your Spirit is in me. I have God in me. Make me not afraid anymore, Lord. I am such a coward. Forgive me. and Give me the boldness like Stephen had because I've got the Spirit in me. And then thirdly, Lord, and this is the tough one, isn't it? Put that person in your mind that did you so bad, hurt you so hard. Say, Lord, don't hold that sin against them. No, Lord, they're duped by the devil. They're duped by their own sinful nature. Please help them find Christ. Help them find the forgiveness that I found in Jesus. That's really what Stephen was after. Even Jesus was after and so, Lord, we come before you with deep humility, asking you to fill us with your spirit. Give us the conviction to stick with your word. 
and to always forgive because you forgave us everything. You will enable us by your spirit to forgive everyone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Let's stand up together. Thanks for coming tonight. Good to have you. Thanks for watching us online. Those who are here, if you want to come up and look in the box, especially if you wrote one of those cards. There's a few people who have been around for a few years. In fact, your pictures are in there. You might want to look at your old picture. Remember when you, back when you had hair like me or something like that? Thanks for coming tonight. God bless you. Have a great day. Keep following the Lord with all your heart. And don't forget this message from the life of Stephen. Pretty powerful stuff, right? God bless you. Have a great week.